You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Um, in 2017, we celebrated, we took time to celebrate 500 years of Protestant Reformation of the Church. Um, even just a few years before that, we celebrated 400 years of the King James Version Bible. Uh, amazing things, but tonight we're going to look a little bit closer because 2019 marks the 25th anniversary of the local assembly known as Grace Community Church. I think that's very special. Um, one of the, the reasons we do that, and Scripture has many passages you could turn to to understand the importance of looking back before we can look forward, or looking back with the purpose of glorifying God. And one such passage you find in Psalms. I'm going to read for you Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That's our intention here tonight. As we look back at the founding and history of Grace Community Church, we want it to be a marker point for us, for our children, and for, for people yet to come that God is at work here. And that is our continuous prayer. So before I introduce our panel, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for calling us to yourself, calling us as an assembly uh, in this nation, in this state, in this portion of the county. Thank you for bringing us together as part of your family. Thank you for 25 years where your, your spirit has moved among the community and built up your church I pray, Lord, that this, uh, this celebration of 25 years would only mark the beginning of faithful, enduring service so that your people here within Grace Community Church uh, may be called by your name, may be called faithful and holy for generations to come. It's to your praise that we offer these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we introduce the panel tonight, uh, you should recognize several of these guys. Actually, Brad, Ted, and Jim are returning panelists from previous Grace Matter sessions. This other face, though, you may recognize from the pictures on our missionary wall in the foyer. And this is Ricky Mill. Several of you have heard him preach. He's been here several times um, over the years, but he had an instrumental role in the development and the, the founding structure of Grace Community Church. But before we get to those stories in a moment, Ricky, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the ministry that you're currently involved in? Well, I am uh, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with, uh, with my wife and have, uh, uh, how many grandchildren do I have? Five. <laughs> today. today. I just, when, you, when you got a herd, you lose track of the actual numbers, but uh, five grandchildren that all live in close proximity to me, which uh, for those that that's not a, an opportunity, I, I feel for you because it's just so special to have them close by. Um, I uh, worked as a pastor at Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh for about 14 years. A couple of years ago, I retired, and I have a, uh, a counseling ministry that I offer to folks on a donation basis, Bar Barnabas Ministries of the Triangle. And the elders at uh, Providence were gracious uh, to allow me to keep an office there, so I, I meet folks there at Providence normally. And uh, I tell people that what I used to have to do when I was on the pastoral staff 
the things I used to have to do and I didn't do very well, I don't have to do anymore. And uh, this is a, uh, a pretty special season in life for me because the things that I do are the things that I love to do. And so I am very thankful to the Lord uh, for just that opportunity to spend the days that he gives me uh, just sitting down with folks and trying to listen well and encourage them. Uh, so that's, that's sort of what I'm about these days. Well, we're grateful you're here with us tonight. Yes, sir. I'll turn to our, our two founding family members um, and introduce for us you know, the, the history that brought about this local assembly called Grace Community Church, and then maybe introduce how and when Ricky became a part of that. Well, Ted and I, our families, and about, I'm going to say 12 other families, would that be about right? Uh, we're attending a local church, uh, and we had an interim pastor come in because the pastor had been there for many years, had uh, moved on to another church. Uh, and the interim came in, and this was at, during the time when the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention was going through a lot of turmoil. Uh, there was a lot of division in the, in the denomination at that time, uh, primarily over the, the validity and the authority of Scripture. Uh, and the, the new interim pastor who came into the church there in Bowie's Creek uh, was what I would call on the uh, left side of the spectrum. And uh, Ted, you, you were, were you a deacon at that time too? Yes. Yeah, Ted and I were both deacons at that time. Uh, we had 15 deacons, as I recall. Uh, but it was a congregational rule, uh, so it's not like we have here. One of the reasons it's not like we have here is because how it was there. Uh, and... The uh, preaching a sermon on, on Isaiah one Sunday, and this is this is what I remember. And I let Ted's memory may be better than mine, but here's what I remember: is what sticks out in my mind. Uh, he started talking about uh, there's no way that Isaiah could have written the whole book of Isaiah because there's no way he could have predicted things, you know, that far in advance. And and I'm I'm sitting there in the second row, going, "What? The guy's telling me that that." that the prophet Isaiah could not have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to predict what was going to happen in the future. Huh. Uh, and so several of us went to him. I remember going to him with George Womble. I don't know whether he, you, Ted was in that meeting or not, but I remember George and I went and talked to him and said, you, you can't, you're preaching heresy. And he basically told us that day, well, we're here to uh, weed out those who don't uh, cooperate with the Southern Baptist folks. Oh, he sort of, sort of told us he, he was here to get rid of us. Uh, but we, we, I think we handled it fairly well. Uh, and the deacons met, and I think we had 12 of the 15 deacons voted to ask him to move on. Uh, and he said, uh, the congregation will have to vote on that. And so the congregation, we had a big brouhaha, and the congregation voted on it and decided to keep him. So uh, we left without a big to-do about it, but we did about 15 families left to start this church. Ted, you want to add to that? Yes, I did have an opportunity to talk to the interim pastor privately, along with one of the professors from Campbell, and I asked him about that. He said, we call this the Deutero-Isaiah theory. Two, there were two Isaiahs, possibly three, he said, 
One preached before the event, one preached during the events, the other preached after the events, and they compiled the three accounts to make it appear that it was supernatural, that he had predicted the future supernaturally. And so I began asking him all kinds of questions about what he believed about the inspiration of Scripture, and he said, well, they believe that some parts are inspired and some aren't, and that some becomes inspired as it speaks to you, you know, that, uh, so it, uh, he ran the gamut, I mean, and I said, well, how do you determine what parts are inspired and what aren't? He said, oh, we, deter we depend on the German higher critics to answer that for us. And I said, well, hey, man, those guys don't even agree among themselves about, <laughs> about what is inspired and what's not. So we talked for like an hour and a half that night, and he used all the old classic liberal arguments. I couldn't believe it. I thought that, you know, they had dropped all those, that they were outdated or whatever, but he went through all those arguments. And I knew then, you know, where I stood uh, with, with him and, and his theology and that approach, if that was the direction the church wanted to go. I knew I couldn't, couldn't stay. So we had a, a youth minister that we really liked, and he, was, he loved the Lord and was preaching the gospel. And we would like to have seen him become pastor, but he was uh, very clearly rejected by the congregation. So we realized we needed to move on. You know, we just, you know, so, we, we were outvoted. So the, <laughs> the seed that grew into the church that we see here before us now started with a, a theological yes. issue. It wasn't the car color of the carpet, right? It wasn't no. just because you wanted to split off. So what's the importance of the inerrancy of scripture, of theology in, in the life of a church. I mean, these are academic, you're talking about the, the German critics, and these are very heady things. Why should they be important enough to, to start a new congregation? Because it's a, it's a watershed issue, your view on the scriptures. And, and, you might be very close together there when it starts to diverge, but the farther you go down the road, the farther apart you become, and the deeper you go into heresy. And we, we, my feeling is, uh, you know, you start picking the scripture apart, where do you stop? Because everybody's got a different opinion, just like this guy told me, you know, and, and I'm sure I kind of feel that the other professor that was with him may not have even agreed with him about what was inspired and what wasn't. But... We, we believe that the scriptures are totally reliable in their original manuscripts. But, of course, we don't have any of the manu original manuscripts, and that's one of the big arguments that these guys threw at me, and, and they will throw at anyone. Uh, but we do have many, many fragments of the original manuscript, uh, one copy removed from the original, and that's better than most any other literature in the world can claim. And we do have plenty of... Um, Greek and Hebrew scholars, and we have, um, we have quite a few manuscripts or copies that we can compare, and there are, there are many reasons, uh, very valid uh, reasons, logical and proof text and scientific, why we can have total reliability in the scriptures. And, you know, we, we have to, some of these things we have to accept by faith, of course, but it's a very critical issue. And the criticality of Authority. What's your authority? And if the, the authority for this church rests on the, the, the truthfulness that God inspired the very words of, of Scripture? Exactly. That, right? that the words are God-breathed. That's what inspiration means. Yeah. It's breathed by God. I would, add, I would add what Ted says 
uh, Ted's got a better background in that area, but we know the scriptures are reliable when, in all the historical evidence, much more reliable than any other historical documents that are out there. But the, the, th the bottom line for, for me uh, was that, and is today, right now, if the scripture is not true, what, what are we doing? We're, we're playing a game. We might as well go home. Yes. We have no reason to be here. So obviously there were families that agreed with that sentiment. Yes. Um, so what took place then? We started meeting in homes in uh, Bowie's Creek. Uh, we met in uh, George and uh, Becky Womble's house for a while in the backyard, I remember. Uh, one, I think the first time we ever met was in their backyard. Uh, it was quite moving. Uh, we, as we were singing, I felt the spirit like I had never felt before in a worship service. It was quite moving. Uh, and it was, it was, I think that was God affirming us as a, as a group. And then we met in uh, the Boyd's home in, in Keith Hills as well for a while. And uh, Jim Acock, who did not, was not in the original group, he came about six months later, so he's not really worthy of being on the panel, apparently. <laughs> uh, Jim and Joy started coming, and he corrected uh, me and Ted tonight. On We thought we started meeting at uh, the Maranatha Cafe, which is a small center block building there in Bowie's Creek. Uh, but Jim says when he, when he and Joy first came, we were meeting in the Ruritan building, which, which is not far from here. Uh, and then we moved to the Maranatha Cafe. We, we fixed it up a little bit. It was owned by one of our former law students uh, who was a believer, and he rented it to us very cheaply. Uh, we stayed there for a while, and then we went to the, uh, the middle school until we moved into here. Uh, Ted, add, add to that. Well, Ricky, you can add to that because you were. When did you come? When did you come? I think I was in that, that backyard. I don't know. I, I have memories of that. Okay. So it was it was early. right early on when uh, when I was was asked I was involved in a ministry in uh, Raleigh and uh, uh, was approached and asked if I would mind uh, meeting with a group of families uh, in Bowie's Creek that were considering starting a new church and I was uh, very interested in that so I came out and met these folks and then, and then I wondered no. <laughs> Uh, I met these folks and just uh, thought that it was a, a wonderful opportunity for me to serve them. And so uh, I think I was, was here fairly close to the original times when we started trying to think through how to organize as a church. Yeah, that's true. Uh, before you came, we did have some, uh, the, the, the people who we call elders at the time, did, did the preaching until we got you to come on board. Uh, Ted preached some. I preached some. Uh, Jerry Hartman, yeah, there were the, the four or five of us that carried that load until Ricky came on board. Uh, and we'll get into it, but R Ricky's real contribution in addition to preaching to us and for us and uh, with us uh, was his getting us organized as a church. He really led, he led the way on that. I have a uh, <clears throat> story from those early days. I was director of TVR at the time, and uh, Roger Russell, who would speak with the groups that wanted to come up, said, we have a group from Bowie's Creek. It was that very first winter, 
uh, they want to come up. I said, well, I'm going to be gone that weekend. There was something going on with my mother down in Fuqua Verena. They were honoring her at her church. And so I said, make sure, professors from Campbell? He said, yes. I said, make sure to preach the gospel that weekend. <laughs> and um, so... You know, Roger came back and he said, I think this is a conservative group. I said, professors from Campbell? It's, you know, my impression at the time, I, I didn't know any professors from Campbell. I just knew about the stance overall about the authority of Scripture. And he said, I'm pretty sure these guys are conservative. Well, they came up that weekend, but it was a historic flood. And they got turned around in Watauga County. I was down in Fuquay, so these guys never made it. But shortly after, I got the most random phone call with a random question. Jim Maycock said, Brad, I'm here in Bowie's Creek and I'm wondering if you know any good churches around here. And I'm like, I can't believe you just asked that. I said, now look, I, you you got to check it out. Check and see what that, their stance on Scripture would be. But I've heard about this group. And so he did. I think he came over and grilled you guys pretty hard, didn't he? <laughs> I don't remember. Here's <laughs> <laughs> someone pleading the fifth. <laughs> Jim was pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church at uh, Willow Spring for 40 years, wasn't he? 30. 30? Okay. <laughs> He's old enough to be 40. To be 30, 40. Anyway, um, yeah, I recall him talking with him about that, and I knew him beforehand. And, yeah, he, he was wanting to know seriously about what we believe. Which and is the right thing to, right thing to, to want do. to know. Yeah, amen. So those are good questions to ask when checking out churches, right? What do you believe about exactly. the Bible, right? And what do you believe about Jesus, Jesus Christ? Well, evidence of godly people in this area from that long ago is very difficult to come from, uh, to come by. But I think we do have evidence of some families there. Well, that's not all the families, of course, but that was pretty much the... the Crowd at first, that the that was the bulk. Can you pick out some you recognize? Who's? Yeah. So Ted, your parents. That's are right my mom there and dad. Uh, the old white-headed fellow there, <laughs> little, and my mom with the white dress on. And yes, see the Matthews, and uh, there's Pat Hetrick and his wife, and uh, yeah, Rhett and Link are there. In the second row, yeah. and uh, the Schlesings, and and uh, I can't tell who it is way in the back. The Hartmans are there, and also um, Teresa and uh, Grabowski's, yes. Max uh, Callahan, Max and Norma claim to have some meetings at their home also. I, I'm pretty sure we did. That's right, we did meet, that's right. Yeah, we surely did. And we had Bible studies at, at various homes. Several homes, yeah. We had one home group then. <laughs> that so, was it. Yeah, one of the things that uh, was, was just a wonderful experience for me is to see God bring together the families that he did. Uh, my own theology of how a church comes together and sustains itself over time uh, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I think five times in that chapter, it says that God uh, arranges the body as he wills. And the way he does that is he, he identifies 
spiritual giftedness and, and gathers that giftedness so that a, a body of people, a community of people, have the gifts necessary to, uh, to allow the body to come into existence and to flourish and to do the work that he has for it to do. And one of the wonderful things was to, uh, to gather around a table when we first started to think about organizing ourselves. Yeah. And if you can imagine this, you, you have a, a ex-missionary who's now a businessman, and uh, you have a retired pastor, and then you have three uh, lawyers. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the big smart <laughs> I think and it was three humble. of you, wasn't and it? And the humble ones. You and Woody and... Uh, Greg. Was Greg? Greg Wallace. Wallace was a part oh, of that Pat Hattrick, a little maybe. later. Yeah. But uh, what Pat I did, Wallace, I, yes. was, uh, I was trying to think through, now how do we get this thing started? And how, how do we uh, sort of get a, uh, a working kind of document? So I brought uh, the, uh, the bylaws and the Constitution from Providence Baptist Church as, as a uh, kind of a working model. And we took, I think, almost a couple of years Yes, it was a lot of meetings. I recall sitting there late at night, and I was dead tired, you know. And I was if you know anything about lawyers, away. they have to wordsmith everything. Every phrase, every word. And so we, we went through those documents word by word and, uh, and massaged them to the place where uh, the folks around the table felt comfortable that we have a, a, a way of defining who we are and how we want to do life as a community and, uh, and proceed to uh, represent Christ in this community. But it was amazing the, the giftedness that God brought around that table. Uh, all of us had uh, different backgrounds and strengths and, and uh, passions and desires and uh, experiences. But uh, I, I would have to say that in those almost a couple of years, um, I don't remember anyone getting up and walking out of the room mad I don't remember anyone, uh, you know, in the face of someone else. It, it was a wonderful experience of just trying to prayerfully ask God, um, how do we define ourselves and how, how do we bring definition to how we want to proceed as a church family? And uh, it, was, it was just a, a great experience for me uh, just to be part of that process and to sit around the table with uh, with men of this caliber and uh, and just pray together and think together and uh, and dream you know yeah. of what uh, what God might do yeah it was interesting I think uh, Ricky's being a little humble because he was clearly the leader and and he's right about it was a very diverse group actually theologically diverse uh, we had Walter Barge who I would describe as a charismatic uh, we had uh, very conservative Baptists. We had people who were very reformed in their thinking. Ricky was reformed, and I'm reformed in my thinking. And that created, uh, I would call, deep discussion. But we, and sometimes it would be two, three, four, five weeks before we could come to an agreement, but we never got mad. We knew that nobody had an agenda. Everybody wanted to do what God would have them do. And he was all over this. And he used Ricky Mill to lead us down the right path and keep us on the track. 
because we could have gotten off track. But I don't want to give him too much credit because the Holy, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit was leading him. But the, the God used him and kept the group unified even when we disagreed. Would you say that good theology can drive good methodology? You're talking about the, the doctrines you're laying out, the structure that's coming about. All is more of a, a fruit of a unifying passion for the authority of Scripture, for the things glorifying to God. Does one follow, naturally follow the other? Well, you've got to have good theology or you're off track. Exactly. Uh, and I think that probably if we had, we did have different gifts in that group of men, but we had one thing in common. We all believed that our authority was the word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true all the way. And that was one great unifying factor about it. And I think that's very, very important always in, in the church today too, for Grace Community Church. I remember uh, some of you talking about how you would go you would approach an issue where everyone was of a certain mindset, you'd study the scripture, and then you'd come out on the other end of it. Hmm. So you're forced to study at that level those issues when you're determining the foundation for the church. That document, the Constitution. It was a great time of re-examining our own views and our own beliefs and examining from a scriptural basis. And, of course, Ricky was well-versed in that, and he had been through several church plants um, so he, he had some experience with all that and and helped us to examine it and Richie's Ricky's very patient and good good listener <laughs> so if you know anyone who needs counseling he's a good counselor amen I think the uh, probably the biggest challenge was when we came to begin to think through baptism uh, you had Baptists there obviously um, in a prior life, I was a Presbyterian, and we had, we had a little diversity. And uh, I think one of the indicators that God was in our midst and was, was, uh, was guiding this process, one of the indicators was as we went through that discussion about baptism, people had deep and real convictions, and yet the Lord enabled us to chart a course that... Uh, I believe was just really honoring to him in that we would uh, be able by virtue of how we uh, described that process in the documents and I trust y'all haven't changed those <laughs> since I was here. So what is that position currently? Well um, what, I, what I think it tried to do was recognize the fact that Christians come at that issue from very different positions and the question we had was can we define a way of moving forward that would recognize and honor those traditions and yet uh, maintain uh, a conviction about the importance of baptism. And so that, that was a pretty long discussion. The longest one we had. And, uh, and I think it was just a, a wonderful thing to, to come to the end of that discussion and actually verbalize the hearts of the folks in the room that, yeah, we, we can... We can move forward in a way that, uh, that, that honors the fact that people come at this issue from, from different perspectives. And so that, that to me was a sort of uh, 
kind of epitomize the spirit of the of the process right. as we work together. So the foundation of a group of families searching scripture was being laid and there was structure slowly coming in into place. There were deacons from the Baptist church that now were functioning as elders for this fledgling church. You're sharing the preaching responsibilities, but you still did not have a, a full-time uh, pastor. So right. what was the process of that calling? Well, I do remember that uh, we came up with a job description. We uh, circulated the need. We got uh, resumes from a number of different people. And we spent a number of months going through those resumes, having telephone conversations, following up to, to ask questions and, and sort of do due diligence to narrow the field. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, um, and I think we even brought a person or two here we did. Uh, to actually meet them and mm-hmm. listen to them teach. And so we were, we were going through that process, and it lasted a number of months. It did. And then, uh, I don't know, out, out of kind of nowhere, I, I guess Jim, uh, or I think it was Jim, suggested. said, uh, right. do you all have any sense that... that Brad Talley might be willing to to consider uh, coming and uh, being a part of us. And so uh, we said, well, Jim, I think we just said, why don't you call him up and ask him? And so uh, my understanding of that conversation, and Jim, you made it, and you can can add details, but uh, I think as you called Brad, there was a sense that Brad already had a sense that that's something that God was calling him to do, but he had decided... Not to uh, not to initiate from his end to try to to interject himself into that process, but just to hunker down in the mountains and see if anybody mm-hmm. called was sort of the. <laughs> I tried to get him to submit a resume, but he wouldn't do it. Well, he would here, not do it. <laughs> let me fill in. There's a blank to be filled in here. Okay. Uh, Ricky has described the process uh, perfectly. We and we did bring. Uh, I know we brought one. I know we brought one man in. I can't remember his name. Mike from Texas. He was really Mike from New Jersey, but he was currently in Texas. <laughs> I do remember that. Uh, and he came, and we were down. We were our numbers were not large at the time, uh, less than a hundred, maybe less than seventy-five. Uh, and he he came and preached. And we took him out. To, I remember going out to eat with him. He and his wife, and uh, he was here a couple of days and preached, and he. He was a pastor of a fairly large church in Texas. So when he got up to, to preach to us at the Ruritan building, I suppose, was, was it the Ruritan? Yeah. Uh, it could have been the school. Probably uh, the school, because when I came, it was in the school. Yeah, okay. But in any, in any event, he was like he was preaching to 500 people. And I kept going, well, look, look at me. I mean, it, there's just a few of us here. You can, <laughs> you can talk to us. Uh, and so I didn't have a good feeling about it. But I was the, uh, the chair of the Board of Elders at that time. And so I just, he came and we, we had a meeting, a church meeting, and we, we, I just led the meeting and asked for a vote, and the vote was 100% to call him. And I told Diane on the way home, says, I don't like this, but the people seem to want him. I didn't want him. I called him Monday and told him that he had got a unanimous vote to come and he said well on the way back my wife and I talked about it and we just don't think this is the right place for us 
Now, if that's not God keeping us from messing up, I don't know what he is. <laughs> uh, and and then, then Brad came came around. And uh, Brad, why don't you recall what, what happened there? Tell us what happened. Well, you called. <laughs> Jim had called and talked about um, me submitting a resume. And actually, Linda and I had been praying for about a year. Um, you had brought men's groups up for the men's retreat, and we had the connection uh, in that way. But uh, so Jim Boyd came up to drop one of his sons off for staff position at, at camp, and I said, "So, how are things going?" You know, and he may have said, "I don't know, recall the exact details of that conversation." He said, um, "We talked about it a little bit." And I indicated that, you know, I had felt I wasn't to submit a resume. But then you called about a month later, and boy, it went quickly. And it's, <clears throat> mentioned this from the pulpit some on Sunday mornings, I heard an interpretation of the parable where Jesus is talking about the woman who goes to the judge and just is relentless, avenge me of my enemies. And finally, he says, not because... I fear God or man, but because you're going to drive me out of my mind, I'm going to give you your request. And then he says, will not the Lord avenge his children who cried day and night? <clears throat> Even if the interpretation of that verse is, Lord, deliver me from my enemies, uh, the application would certainly be legitimate to say that the Lord will quickly do a work. But that word, I have seen this interpretation, does not mean necessarily that he'll do it immediately, but when he moves, he will move quickly. And I think probably every one of us has, has seen that played out in our lives. You wait, you wait, you wait, and then things fall into place so quickly you hardly know what happened. And that was kind of the way it was. And when I first came, it was at the... At the um, School. school, right across, the, right street, across yeah. the street. Yeah. And what year was this? 1998. 98. So last year we celebrated 20 years of you being our teaching elder in Grace Church. And I had been 20 years at TVR. So I guess at the end of this 20, I'll <laughs> retire from <laughs> this next one. Ricky, can, would you come down for the retirement party? <laughs> <laughs> In spirit, anyway. We'll both be here in spirit. Obviously, this young church recognized that the Lord could use you to, to preach and to pastor. How well was the integration into coming into a, a smaller, younger church uh, where there were uh, elders? Um, some, I'm sure, knew you and some didn't, uh, and you were coming from the mountains. How, how was the integration? I don't know. You'll have to ask the others, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Brad had not... Uh, gotten his uh, his MDiv degree yet? He was he, in he, process. He was, he was in the process of doing that. So when he came here, uh, he was still in that uh, mode of going to class and studying, and yet uh, and and he never had been a pastor before, and yet it was like it was just obviously right. You know, we knew he was the right guy immediately. You may be sitting out there saying, well, Ricky, weren't you really hacked off that they didn't ask you to be the pastor? 
I think we probably did ask you, actually. <laughs> but I, I had uh, assumed the leadership of a ministry in Raleigh, and I, I just didn't feel like the time was right for me to leave those folks. Uh, and so uh, pretty quickly, I, I think we just thought, well, we need to keep looking, and we did. Yeah. Well, actually, Ricky is the one that said we needed to get a full-time pastor. Yeah. You were the one that yeah. put that in on track. Mm -hmm. yeah. And truly, that the church had to grow. And you shouldn't, if, if you came in as a pastor to that group, it's not, you, you can't get credit, but you could sure get blamed for messing it up because it, the Lord had put together, just as Ricky said, a wonderful group of people. And the Lord's ways are just, they're strange, aren't they? The yeah, way we, that he works in this kingdom. We didn't start out to start a church. That was not our intention. You know, we just started meeting in various homes of the people, you know, in our group because we were we were wounded, we were hurting. And I know the people at Bowie's Creek were hurting too because my kids still went to school with them and they were still friends and we all were wounded. We were hurt. We didn't really understand why it had to be that way and, and you know, we were just praying the Lord would heal our hearts and heal their hearts and, and we met in homes to have Bible study and prayer and fellowship and that was the extent of it at first and then as we went on, you know, over the months, we said, uh, hey, we are a church. We just need a place to put it in, <laughs> a place to meet. And so that's when we went to, uh, I guess, to the Ruritan Club first. Right. Yes. So before we talk about how we got into this location, this building, this next picture you're going to see, not everyone in it is an original founding member of the church, but families that came very early on. Um, so I just want to get a, a broad view of those first five, ten years, what was life in Grace Community Church like? What, what did these families who started coming and coming, um, how was the culture created, this family atmosphere? Hmm. Well, you, you see up there, uh, I think there's, there's an interesting story behind every person up there uh, as to how they came here. Of course, Max and Norma in the upper right-hand corner were one of the original families. So Max was in those meetings, those early meetings that Ricky described. Uh, then Jim and Joy came about six months later and Jim helped participate uh, in the founding of the church as well. Uh, uh, Jack and Suzanne Lucas are from Catholic background, uh, got saved later in life in their 40s, I think. Uh, and they just, I don't know how they found us, but they did after we'd already got up and running. And they came after I was here. Yeah, they came later. Uh, but they have been an integral part of this church. Uh, and, of course, Becky Brissom was the church secretary uh, in the middle there. Uh, and then you see the, the real key to the whole thing was the couple on the lower right-hand side. Uh, I, won't go into, I won't go into that detail. I'll let somebody else tell that story. Uh, but the, the most interesting thing in, in the whole group is, is Elbert and Kathleen to me. And I'd, I'd like Ted, if Ted can recall, because Elbert and Kathleen, strong Baptist background, I don't think they would have landed here unless something really led them here. You know, how would you describe that, Ted? Yeah, they, uh, that's true. They, um, they so grew these up are your much, parents, correct? Yes, my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were really strong, sound believers, loved the Lord, and really believed that the Word of God was totally inspired and totally reliable, and that was very important to them. 
and they um, wanted to attend a church that was really strong on missions. Now, my mom and dad were always very supportive of, of uh, world evangelization, home missions, foreign missions, especially foreign missions. And, and I, I was very insistent on that too. That was one of my uh, concerns that we be a church that was very missions minded. And in fact, in the beginning, we began to discuss, you know, what kind of commitment are we going to have to foreign missions? And we came up with a, a very um, optimistic uh, plan yeah, was yeah. to yeah. give 50% uh, give of our income, the church income, to mm -hmm. world missions. And of course, we haven't reached that goal, but I would love to see it happen someday. But we, we do very well, I think, compared to uh, most churches, I suppose. And that was one of the uh, key drawing points for my parents, uh, aside uh, beyond the uh, you know, high view of scriptures and, uh, and the fellowship, the people, warm, warm friendship and fellowship that uh, they had gotten to know uh, a lot of the families and plus uh, Gail and I were here too. And so. May I interject a couple of things long as ago when I hate to butt in? So Ted said he was meeting at Iowa House and came out of the church out of the house at night. And his Jim said, What do you think about this group? He said, Do you think? I said, Man, I'm with you. And we always go. And, we go and one more thing that took place I think is very important. There was a, a CPA Presbyterian church. They wanted us to merge together and have one group. They didn't want to merge. They wanted to take us over. And uh, this is how the Lord led in that. Because, And one of the things that kind of pried my hide was there was a Presbyterian sitting there. He said, I was a Baptist until God got my eyes open. I want to say, but if your eyes ever open, you'd still be a Baptist. <laughs> We always had to control Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and now that he's reached 92, he's, <laughs> we can't control him. <laughs> so what were some of those victories and challenges that the church faced in those initial years, not just building the structure, but once the structure was in place, the doctrine was in place, the pastor was in place, how did this church take shape? Well, it, had, it, it was not easy. Uh, I think that we would like to say, well, the Lord had his hand on us and he guided us smoothly down the stream. He did have his hand on us, but it wasn't always smooth. It was a river. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes went through the rapids. Uh, and various people came and went. And uh, in the early days, uh, there, were, there were people who came, and, and I don't know what, what was going on sometimes because uh, we had a lot of disunity at times uh, after we got going. And we had people who left us, uh, and some left angry. Uh, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, I think that ultimately, the, God has the people here that he wants here. I think God brings those he wants to be here. And, he, and, and, if, and if he wants people to leave, I think he has them leave. So we used to get upset. I know Brad and I have talked about it. 
we used to get upset and we were hurt, you know, people who were with us in the beginning, they just left. Uh, but after a while, I just saw God's hand in it. And I, I've often met with families who were, they were upset, they were mad. Uh, and I just looked at them and I said, well, you know, maybe God would have you be somewhere else. Because we certainly don't want to be, have you be mad and angry all the time. And if you're not pleased, you're not satisfied, I recommend you find a place that, where you need to be. And that seems to work, you know. Uh, that was hard to do at first because you want to do it. You want you want to placate them, uh, and you can't do that. You can't compromise God's word. Can't compromise the way God would have us operate as a body. I think it's uh, it's extremely difficult uh, for a church plant to have the same makeup of people ten years after the church begins. It's rare. Ricky can speak to this, especially a church that leaves another church, even for good reasons. It is rare that those people stay together for a long, long time. Um, I get tickled, and, you know, there's so much truth in, in humor, uh, a lot, but sometimes when I'll report to the elders that, well, someone came in, they were here for about a month, and they were upset about this or that, and, and so they're not going to attend anymore, and Jim will say, well, I think we dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> and it's true. And I think, um, truly, when the elders uh, became really unified at Grace, man, it, it took off. And it, it takes a long time. And Satan is always, he is right at the edges of our, our church body. I've seen it two or three times through the years. Another time is upon us. Satan wants us. And why wouldn't he? I think, interestingly enough, this comes after the largest one-day attendance we've ever had at Grace was this past Sunday morning. Not that the numbers mean anything, but when you look out at the people and you say, this person's been saved, this person's been saved, mm. you don't know about that because we don't have them come forward. But one after so many people's lives have been completely turned around in this place, if it's it, and if the day that the Lord, it's not His ministry, huh. is the day it will go the way of a lot of churches before us. So it's our heart to stay right in there. Ricky, you want to speak to some of that about churches? Yeah, I think it is very typical that the the pioneers uh, once. Once the wagon is circled and and the uh, community is organized, um, you find an attrition uh, typically. And honestly, uh, I've come out here from time to time to preach. I haven't been here in a while, and I may have said something that was heretical and haven't been invited back. But <laughs> anyway, now I wanted him here for Isaiah 53, and it just didn't fall uh, right because we <laughs> give honor to whom honor is due, uh, and this man uh, deserves it. But I, one of the things that is just so special to me is when I am here on a Sunday morning, and even tonight, uh, looking out, um, I, I, I recognize virtually just a few people. And you might think, well, that's, that's not a good thing. Where are all those folks that I would have recognized? Mm -hmm. But the reality is that, uh, that those 
folks that have that have gone on to other places um, have been uh, replenished with all kinds of folks that have come. And what I said earlier in terms of my theology of church, um, the reason that you're here, you personally are here right now, real time, is because God has given you giftedness that this body needs to do what God is calling this body to do. And uh, that's the really the only reason to stay in a church um, is a, a clear sense that God has me here and that this body in some way or other needs what I can contribute to its life, to its witness, to its service. And uh, every time I come, particularly on a Sunday morning when, when the whole church is gathered, I'll look out there and I just, I just say, Lord, thank you so very much. It what started out in living rooms with just a handful of people has, uh, has impacted a community and continues to do that because God is bringing you and others like you who are tremendously gifted in a whole variety of ways. And if you're here, uh, this body needs those, those areas of gifting so that it can do what it, God calls it to do and be what God calls it to be. And so I, I'm just, uh, it thrills me every time I think about where we started and, uh, and where you are now. Yeah. Just a, it's a great thing. Yeah. And we see on the screen a sign that was out front for a while, future home of Grace Community Church. And we are in the midst of a community. So what's the story behind moving from house to house, building to building, in the middle school across the street into this, this property, this building? Well... The, the person responsible for us being in this prop on this location is Jim Acock. Uh, Jim knew the people that owned this land, and he approached them uh, several times trying to get them to sell. Uh, and we had uh, agreed that we could pay a certain price, and we were looking for about 10 acres, uh, and we knew what we could pay. Uh, and over time, they finally agreed to sell. I think Jim bothered them so much. Uh, and they said, but we, we're not going to sell you 10 acres. We want to sell you the whole track. And it was 21 acres approximately. And they asked the price was what we were willing to pay for 10 acres. <laughs> so that was a confirmation. This was where God wanted us to be. Uh, and then I've got this story that I feel like I'm compelled to tell uh, about the building. Uh, my mom lived down in South Georgia all been in Georgia, and she was not in good health, and she needed to bring her up here to, for assisted care in Lillington so we could be, be close to her. And I was driving a U-Haul truck, moving her a few items up here. Uh, and the, I was coming back to, through the country in the middle of Georgia between, Macon, between Milledgeville and uh, Sparta, Georgia, and if you want to look at a map and look at what's between Milledgeville and Sparta, there is absolutely nothing. And, and I was praying. The truck had already broken down once and had to be fixed. And I, I was praying that I would not break down in Hancock County, which is a dangerous place to be. And, and I was going about 55 miles an hour, officer. And all of a sudden, the engine stopped running. And the power steering went out. And I, I was able to pull it to the side of the road 
And I stopped and looked up, and about from here to that sign right there was a sign that says, Welcome to Hancock County. <laughs> so I did not break down in Hancock County. I broke down about 100 yards from Hancock County. Uh, and I'm, I'm nowhere, no cell phone, you know, four cell phones. I looked around, and there was an old house. I wasn't sure anybody was living in it because it, it was pretty richety. It was not in good shape. But it was an old farmhouse with the old wraparound porch all the way around it. And I looked up there. I said, well, maybe somebody lives there. So I walked up there. It was July. It was hot. And uh, walked around to the back, and there were two boys about 19, 18, 19 years old with no shirts on, blue jeans, no shoes, shucking corn on the back porch. And they said, they looked at me and said, can we help you? I said, I need to use a phone. So they took me inside to use the phone, and, the, and these two boys had their wives. And their wives were about 17, 18 years old. True story. Both wives were barefooted and pregnant. <laughs> and they already had two or three children running around the house and about 10 million flies. No screens. And one of, one of the little girls picked up a fly swatter. Was going to, I said, forget it. That ship's done sailed. Uh, <laughs> And they let me use the phone, and I'm talking to the U-Haul guy and trying to tell him where he is. And the boy says, tell me you're 17.6 miles from the bridge in Milledgeville. I said, okay, I'm on highway, whatever it was. And so the guy said, well, probably maybe three, four, five hours before we get to you. I said, okay. So I, I hung up, and the, the girl said, you want some sweet tea? I said, yeah, take some sweet tea. And they took me outside, put me in a chair under a big oak tree. And I sat there for hours. And they'd come out about every 30, 40, 30, 45 minutes, and they would offer me more sweet tea. I, <laughs> I had to use the bathroom several times. Uh, and finally, about 5.30 in the afternoon, Daddy came, the patriarch, showed up. Had on a straw hat with a green visor. And he came over and he introduced himself to me. And he sat down, and one of the daughters came out and said, Daddy, you want some sweet tea? I said, yeah, you got to drink it. And he looked at me. We were talking about five minutes. He looked at me. He says, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I said, I do. And he, we got to talking. He said, I'm a carpenter for Christ. I said, carpenter for Christ? What do you all do? He says, we build churches free. I said, we're meeting at the middle school. We bought this land. And so I said, I told him our story. He said, well, we were already committed for this summer. It may, yeah, it may have been May. It may be, must have been May, I think. And, but he says, there's a guy in Alabama, in Dothan, Alabama, it's a, the, the, the Carpenter of Christ chapter down there. He gave me his name and his number. Long story short, they were building a church that summer over in Clayton, the Alabama group. We went over there. And met with the guy. Can you remember his name, Brad, the head guy? Jim. That's all I know. I think it was Jim. I don't think it was Jim. Uh, that's my name. Ted, <laughs> Ted, <laughs> You got us confused. Uh, Ted thinks so, too. Okay, Jim, Jim will do. And we met with him twice. I, I went over there by myself. The, I think I went the per, by myself the first day, and then... Uh, Several of us went. Me, thing, you, and Woody went the next day. Yes, and uh, what upset me about that trip was we stopped at Bojangles, and they gave me a senior citizen discount without asking. They didn't even offer you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we looked a lot different then. Uh, 
but lost. It was, and they came up and interviewed us. Uh, brought about five guys with us. Met with met us at the uh, motel there in, in uh, Fuquay, in the conference room. And we had about what an hour and a half, two hour meeting with them. And they interviewed us and said, "Well, we'll be getting back to you." And I think it was about a week or two later they called and said, "We're coming." I don't know a bunch, but they have to choose one a summer, and they chose us. That's right. They had other churches that were begging them to come. Yeah. So they came. They came, and they they basically primarily built the education wing. They didn't. They don't get up high. They were afraid to get up on the scaffold. They had had some injuries in the past, so they just said, "Well, sorry, we can't do the cathedral ceiling, but we finished the back part in one week." These guys camped out over on the uh, gym floor in the middle school or high school That's one. It, middle school. Yeah, and we had a tent up out here. It was pretty hot, and it rained some, and, I mean, they just worked hard from sun up to sundown. And we fed them. I think we fed them pretty well. Uh, they appreciated that. Can, can we take a look at the, the groundbreaking ceremony? There it is. There it is. Right where we're sitting. And uh, about what year was this? Two thousand three. Scott says two thousand three. I think it was three. I think that's we right. We moved in that December. This was June, or the Carpenters for Christ were here in June. I believe. Yeah, <clears throat> that was the the next summer when they came. Yeah. I want to turn back just a little bit, and Ted, I think you had touched on this, uh, but one of the questions that was sent in is. Was there ever talk about the group going to an existing church, or were you led to start a new church from the beginning? As I said, we didn't set out to form a new church. That really wasn't our plan at first, our purpose. We just felt that we had no choice but to leave the church where we were because uh, we obviously weren't wanted, but also we obviously did not agree as far as uh, theology and the stance on the Bible. And you had a lot of teenagers. Yes, we had they, lots of... They wanted to... They wanted to stay. They were very hurt and didn't understand the whole issue. And it was, it was difficult. It was painful. Um, I mean, we felt like somebody had died. I mean, it was, it was really a struggle that all of us went through. Uh, but especially the kids, the teenagers, it, did not understand. I mean, they still went to school with their friends. They had friends there. And they just didn't want to leave. And I felt for them. Um, you know, and some of them are still friends to this day. Uh, and I thank the Lord for that, but uh, but it just uh, it was a difficult time. It was unexpected in a way, you know. And, but the Lord overruled all that, and and good has come out of it. Thank the Lord. The Lord's been very gracious in these first 25 years, um, through broken relationships, through the turmoil of theology, and and the the desire to get things right for God's glory. On the horizon for the next 25 years, what do you see that Grace Community Church should be on the lookout for? How, how can we prepare um, ourselves and the next generation of, of members at Grace Community Church? Turns out that uh, this is the absolute center between Raleigh and Fayetteville, I think, anyway. Not really, but it's pretty close. And, real, and both communities are moving here, uh, we know that directly behind us from 210 all the way to 401, they're building 
700 homes in the next few years. Um, so we often say, well, I often say when people ask, what is your vision? And I, I say to preach the gospel. I think a lot of uh, talk about purpose, mission, vision gets awful Americanized. We are very easily persuaded by our culture and every generation of believers is persuaded by the culture. But clearly, we have to make decisions. And we've been talking, elders have been talking for a while, we've been talking with the deacons as well, about how large we want to be and desire to begin to replicate what God has done here. And only God can do this. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say, again, you can get very American and, well, we're going to reproduce what we've got here. And only God can do that. But it's a good training ground um, for, for that to happen. By the way, it, 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 it needs to be said that David Calvert has been here for almost the entire time I've been here. That's and true. He he's, has a whole lot of impact and influence, not only on, on where we are, but where we're going as well. Uh, the staff, Scott and Keisha, have been here almost the whole time. Several of others of you have been here a long time, Bert and Kelly and Mike Moneypenny, actually. Ted and someone else went to their house on visitation, right? And I went several times to visit him. He and I had you quite a few <laughs> I, I said I went to Pardon me? Oh, well, yeah. He, he's, he's telling the truth. I did have ulterior motive, but I did, I, I did talk to him about the Lord, though, first, before I ever asked him about fishing in his pond. I mean, I, I always wanted to fish in that pond, but that was not really the reason, the only questions. reason I Do went. you know Jesus? Can I fish in that pond? <laughs> but we had some good conversations. That wasn't the only time I visited him. I don't think I even asked you the first time I met you. But anyway, it, he's been really good about that. But, um, yeah, my desire would be to see grace uh, reproduce itself, to plant other evangelical churches, um, because we know that even though there's lots of churches in Harnett County alone, you know, we're all over North Carolina. Um, not very many of them are evangelical these days. It's really unfortunate. It's, it's disappointing. It's sad. Also, my desire, my strong desire, is to see us continue to keep in the forefront, focused on world missions. Not, I mean, home missions, of course, too. Evangelism in our own community. Uh, but world missions, to reach out to the world, to evangelize, because that is the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To reproduce disciples near and far. Exactly, that's right. That You can't leave that part out because that's, that's what follows naturally and should anyway. Several churches in Harnett County uh, that may have not had as strong a position on the authority of Scripture in the past have begun turning that ship. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you know, it goes slowly. We are being blessed in our area by a number of folks. I have to say this too, just an interesting point. Rand Whitley and I became friends. He he was one of my he was a professor, one of the absolute best teachers I ever had at Southeastern, and he ended up coming to Campbell at this in the same year. So we we uh, sort of grew up together in uh, this particular area. I do think this Neil, in response to what are the challenges going forward. In the past, it was the question about the authority of Scripture. There's not so much that question per se. Of course it is. It does ultimately go back to this. But the issue now is not whether you believe Isaiah was written by one or two or three or multiple authors. 
The problem now is the exclusivity that scripture uh, places on Jesus Christ and him being the only way for salvation. Uh, a lot of the claims that scripture makes are rejected by and large by the culture. It's okay to be spiritual, but don't be too spiritual. You can't believe that God says what he says about marriage. You have to interpret it through a cultural lens. It's not that we disagree with scripture. It's just that we interpret it differently than you. But scripture is fairly clear. We are called to stay faithful to the word regardless of where the culture goes. That's going to be our challenge going forward. Before I get the last word from you four up here, um, first, David, when did you start attending at Grace? Uh, 1999. 99. And you came on staff when? 2006. 2006. But led worship from when? Place, Scott and Keisha had been leading for a, a long time before that. Followed, not <laughs> Yes, followed. I, thank you. We also had uh, K.J. Hill as an associate pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, how many years was he here? Don't know. But also we had, um, we had another, we had a youth minister. Well, Aaron Harding was a young man that went to church here, and he helped us out with the youth when we were at the... Uh, middle school, and then uh, a fellow by the name of Green, what's his name? Jason Green. Jason Green, yes, he was here for a while, and he moved on to another church in Ohio, I think. But uh, KJ is still in Durham? Yes. Yes. Uh, and before we close out, is there anybody from the floor that has a story or anything to, to offer? I think we've heard. Gentlemen, last words. Do we have one more? Uh, when I started coming to 99, I was a college student. I was a freshman at Campbell and had grown up in a church, but it was, uh, you know, not my choice. I went with my parents. And so as a freshman, being able to do whatever I wanted to do, but I'd grown up in a bubble, so I didn't know what that even meant. Uh, when I decided to look for my own church to attend, uh, Rhett's wife, Jessie, was a classmate of mine at Wake Christian Academy, and she said, hey, my cousin Brad is preaching at a church and meets in a middle school. And I said, that sounds ridiculous. I'll check it out. And so uh, I visited, and, and a big influx of students came around that generation from 99 to 03 while I was an undergrad. And it was a beautiful thing to see uh, in what this, this church plant, you know, if, uh, a growing church, but from the get-go, intergenerational. Um, and that's one of the things I'll, I continue to, to celebrate as a staff person and want to cultivate both with what we do in leading music on stage, but also how we engage with the community. Um, I think, and that's a distinctive, that a lot of church plants that are being planted now are younger folks who have more energy, whatever that might mean, and then they uh, plant into a context, maybe without uh, a plurality of elders, because they're you know, really hardcore about getting into a neighborhood or whatever, getting into a city. Um, but our, our church was blessed to be begun with a plurality of elders of multiple perspectives, and we've maintained a plurality of elders from multiple generations and perspectives, uh, and we have a worshiping family and home groups that represent, continue to represent that intergenerational uh, fellowship that I think is intended for the local church. And so I'm grateful um, now that I'm, you know, 
continuing to age up, and time doesn't stop, and I have more kids. Like, I can raise my kids in a place that is intergenerational. They have uncles and brothers and sisters and grandparents uh, all around them, uh, which a lot of church plants and, and even younger churches don't have that privilege. And even a lot of older churches don't have those privileges of good, rich, intergenerational fellowship. So that's one of the things I celebrate in this 25th year of Grace Community Church. Thank you. That's great. Gentlemen, any last thoughts? David speaking reminds me when he did come here. He looked like he was 10 years old. Uh, but I think the, the, it, the Lord leading us to this land and through Jim Acock getting the land for us and then Carpenters for Christ just coming here and helping, helping us get started. And then the, the Lord leading us to Ricky Mill. And then we, we look at these college kids that have come through here. And, of course, David's the biggest, but Sean Cross, they came here while they were college kids, 18, 19 years old. And they've grown into mature men with families, uh, preaching the gospel, ministering to people. And, you know, it's just amazing what God has done here. You, you, you couldn't have dreamed of this. You couldn't have thought of it. I played golf with a man, and his wife was the owner of this land. And I went by to see her, and I did not know her father. Her father was a successful businessman on business uh, interest in the warehouses around here. But uh, his nephew went to our church, and he told me about Uncle Buddy. I did not know Uncle Buddy, but he said Uncle Buddy was a Christian. And he loved the Lord and he loved people. So I went to his daughter. I said, we need some land and we're interested in that. And we'd like to get it from him. And I said, let me ask you a question. If Uncle Buddy knew that land over there, there's going to be a church built there. And people are going to hear the gospel and missionaries will go out to the end of the earth. I said, I think he would re be rejoicing about that. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the beginning of how we got this land. So this is how the Lord leads, even in little things like money. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think $180,000. Yeah, that's right. I'm building a church. Uh, some of us built this platform right here where you, where you stand. And we helped build it, I think. I won't keep bragging on me, but... Uh, Jack Lukes and I put all the baseboard down in the building, not this, but in the other there. And so uh, we all had not only physical, but financial. Well, we had physical interest in this place, too. So the Lord has been good. I said the other night, I said, I don't know where all these people came from, but I thank God they're here, and I hope they stay. One more thing, and I'll quit. <laughs> Preach on, brother. I was told years ago, that when a new church starts, you usually have to get rid of the originals, hmm. usually, to get the church going. And that usually happens because the original ones, every one of them have strong minds. They have their ideas of how things ought to go. And things, when things don't go like they think they ought to, 
Well, it's either cause confusion or go. So the Lord led them to go. And I was at a memorial service a week or so ago, and at that service there were four or five families that started out in this church and no longer here. They said, man, this is like the church used to be. I said, yeah, yeah, okay. So God brings those he wants, and I hope he continues to, and I thank God they haven't run me out yet. <laughs> oh, I can give you the mic back again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can find that photograph I took of Brad wearing his nail apron helping build a church here. He, he tried to get away from me, but I got a photograph. <laughs> he was out here helping us too. At least encouraging us or telling us jokes. Every time, every time I came on the slab with a hammer in my hand, they'd blow the whistle and say, everybody stop, get away. <laughs> so that was a pretty good strategy, I thought. I'd like to say I'm very grateful for um, the people who started this place. We're going to all be worshiping one Savior in heaven. The Lord is good. Ricky, who had such a big role in where we are today, uh, would help me through some of those difficulties when we were struggling to find the place that God wanted us to be. But the Lord does his work the ways that he wants to. And like I say, we're going to all be rejoicing. There's so many things that don't make sense. Um, Diane McLaughlin, I've said it over and over, has reminded me of the sovereignty of God at particular times in my life here at this place that have been a huge blessing to me and by extension the church. But that's true of every single person. Because what Ricky said, do you really believe that if someone gives a glass of water in the name of a prophet, they will receive a prophet's reward? I do. Jimmy Johnson used to say we're going to all line up in heaven like we think we ought to be rewarded, you know, with all the preachers up front and, and the quiet servants in the back, and the Lord's going to say, about face! <laughs> and uh, then he's going to start with the least of these. So it's a work of God, and we can get, the flesh can get in the middle of it so easily. We'll continue seeking the Lord, and as we do so, I want to thank everyone. Thank you, gentlemen, for being a part of this tonight. And uh, Ricky, may I ask you to send us out in a prayer of praise and blessing? Dear Father, we uh, bow in your presence. Your word tells us that unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And Father, we thank you that uh, we can look back over years of your faithfulness. It's amazing that you would use such as us, those of us that are here tonight and others. It's amazing that you would use such as us to uh, further your kingdom in this world. And yet that is the, the reality that uh, none of us deserve to be a part of that. But in your grace and mercy, Father, you enable us to, uh, to represent you and serve you and to proclaim you. And I pray that this place would, uh, day by day and year by year, be a place where people fall in love with you, the Father, 
They fall in love with you, Lord Jesus. They fall in love with you, dear Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for what you have done. And Father, we thank you for what you are and will continue to do because of, of just your grace and mercy working through very ordinary people who are given gifts to serve and to love. And so we thank you for tonight, just a chance to reminisce, to, uh, to look back and to say, you know, that was good. When God finished his creative work, he took a day to rest and to reflect and to, uh, to look back and say, that was, that was good. That was very good. And we have that, that same uh, spirit tonight as we look back, Father, over these years. And we thank you for you're the one that deserves all the honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.